This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. And this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. Oh, but this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. the Lord. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Also, prayers needed for Brooks Reinhardt. That's our um, treasurer. Uh, Sarah, her son, Sarah and Tanner. Uh, Rick Master's grandson was in a little um, uh, ran into a kid yesterday and fell and hit his head on the concrete. Knocked him out for a little while so they took him to get him tested for concussions. They're waiting on the doctor this morning. I don't know if they've heard anything. I talked with Sarah earlier this morning so I'm not sure if they've got words yet, but he did have a crack on the skull, a little bit of bleeding, but um, he was seems to be doing fine, and uh, so we're just believing that God's going to touch him and take care of that situation, have him home by this afternoon. Can I get an amen? amen. We have a God that answers prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your powerful son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you died for us. You resurrected on the third day. You did all these things so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. You did it so that by your stripes we could claim the healing for our family members that are sick. Healing for those that have been in accidents this very week. We're praying in Jesus' name that you would touch them and heal them. For David Monroe, for Brooks, who are both in the hospital right now, we speak healing over them in the precious name of Jesus. Bring them out and bring them well this very week, and we will praise you for it. Bless this service. Let us open up our hearts to you. Let us prepare our hearts for worship. You will fill this house today. Your presence is here. You want to do a special work among us. We receive that in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen in the house of the Lord. If you'd like to stand, stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow, let it overflow, stir a passion in my heart, God, let it overflow, let it overflow, sing that again, stir a passion, Lord, stir a passion. 
Revelation, God's writing to the churches. Some of the churches lost their first love. They were in love with Jesus. They loved him. Just like, you know, hopefully in your marriage you, you love your spouse. Sometimes you got to get the romance going. Lord, stir a passion in me, oh God kind of mundane in your walk with the Lord, it doesn't have to be that way. Just like with your spouse, you, you don't have to live in just a mundane marriage. You don't have to live with just a mundane relationship with you. It can be a fire burning. Amen? Lord, stir a passion in my heart. 
bless you, oh Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to the words of this song this morning we're about to sing. It says that we need a fresh wind. We need a fresh wind. We need a, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. That's that's what we're going to talk about the fire this morning. But this song, I want you to listen to the words. Really powerful. When God, we're asking you to pour your spirit out. As Pastor Brian just said, give us that passion for you, that desire for you, that craving for you, that you're all we want. And if we could get there, what a powerful move of the Holy Spirit we would see, folks. What a powerful move. Your presence for your spirit. 
Give this praise team another hand clap. Great job today. Praise the Lord. Whew. Thank you, Holy Ghost. We need a fresh wind. Today is probably my favorite sermon in the series, What's Right with the Church. For you that were not here when we, were, when we began, we talked about the fellowship of the church. We talked about the favor of the church. Last week we talked about the faith of the church and standing for what we believe and defending or fighting for our faith. Today we go to the fire of the church. When we began this series, the one thing that I started saying was pretty simple. I began with the words, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the church. Gossip, fighting, lying. We do a lot of things to one another sometimes that we live to regret. 
we say things to one another that through the years, if we're not careful, even in the church, we can grow callous towards one another because of something that happened 10 years ago. God help us to get over it. Dylan, I saw you don't, everybody shout at once, you'll ruin my message this morning. That was hilarious, by the way. My youth pastor's got his little baby up there doing his thing. Don't worry, it'll hit Facebook soon. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that are wrong with the church, but I want to show you some things that are right with the church. Some of the things that I'm preaching, maybe we're like Paul, we have not yet attained them. Maybe we have not got there but it is giving us a direction in which we should go. It is giving us an area, kind of like Paul said, I am striving towards the end of this race. I am fighting. I will not quit until I finish my course faithfully. And so if there's some things that we are missing in the church that are right, <clears throat> that we need, then I'm encouraging us today to go after them, chase them, because God desires to do something great with his church. Can you say amen? Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, <clears throat> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, he is mightier than I. This is John the Baptist speaking. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with what? With fire. His fan is in his hand. He's going to purge his floor, gather his wheat, burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire of the church. The experience of Pentecost brought with it an active ingredient that is missing from far too many churches today. It is the fire. It was not the preaching, all right, that was the problem. They could preach good sermons. It was not the gathering of a community and the gathering of the crowd because they had good, good church crowds. They could get the numbers to come and to show up. It was not the good organization that they had in the body of Christ. They've got, you know, leaders and elders and deacons, et cetera, et cetera, and teachers. And you go down the line and the organization, that is not what made it so great. See, you can have preaching and not have fire. You can have the gathering of a crowd just like we have today and not have fire. You can have abundant organization and have everything in place and everything intact and everything together and not have fire. Because all of these things are found in the church today. But the ingredient that I am speaking of and that I am dealing with is the fire. It is the fire in the book of Acts. It is the motivating of the early church. It is the motivating force. It is the motivation of the early church. It is why they come together. And it took a small group of 120 believers. And it caused them to reach literally thousands of people within the first week of the church's existence. On one occasion, the apostle Peter preached. 
and 3,000 were saved. On another occasion he preached, 5,000 were saved. 8,000 people are brought into the kingdom of God as a result of the fire of Pentecost that fell. Not only did it end with the 8,000, but the Bible said that they were daily being saved such as would come. What a powerful thought. What was the fire of God that I'm talking about? I believe it was the abiding presence of God that is hovering over them at times it is God even making himself visible to his people I believe it is Acts chapter 3 when I have Peter and John and they're on their way to the hour of prayer and there's a blind beggar that is sitting by the road and the blind beggar says hey I need a miracle I, I, I need no that's not what he said he said I need change I need some money alms he's a beggar is what he is he doesn't ask for his miracle. All he asks for is money. And when John and Peter hear that, they look at him and say, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have. What do we have? We have the fire of Pentecost in our soul. And such as we have, we give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You rise up and walk. And that day, that man was healed by the fire of God. When we think about this throughout the Bible, God has used various symbols to signify himself among men. He has always showed us his nature and his mission, what he desires to accomplish in and through us among men. He has also showed it in scripture through symbolism. One of those is the oil, right? The oil. That is why when we anoint people, I have some over there, we anoint with oil. It is representative of the spirit. That is why whenever we get ready to baptize, we dunk you under the water. The water throughout scripture represented the spirit. We also see the dove and the money changers. The dove was caged up. I preached it to you before. We've got to release the dove. We've got to release the anointing because the dove was representative of the Holy Spirit. But another way that God showed himself was through the fire. And a matter of fact, when you open up your Bible, even in the Old Testament, you've got Moses and the burning bush. The bush, you know, God told him, says, Look over here. And he looks and he says, what is this? He says, it's a burning bush. But the bush is not consumed. And when he walks over there, God speaks out the bush and says, I am that I am. And I'm the one that sent you. Now you go. He knew that day that the manifest presence of God had shown himself through the fire. The pillar of fire for the children of Israel in the wilderness that stayed above their head. And when the fire moved, they moved. The Shekinah of glory of God that fell in the temple. In 2 Chronicles 7, let me show you real quick because I think it's really good. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the Bible tells us that Solomon is getting ready to dedicate the temple. And he brings all these offerings to God. And after he had prayed at the dedication of the temple, how did God seal the deal? How did God show them? The Bible said Solomon finished praying and fire flashes down from heaven. It burns up the sacrifice. But the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2 is where it gets interesting. The priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because of the glorious presence of the Lord that filled it. I want you to process that for a moment. That means I cannot even come to work Monday morning because of the glorious presence of can y'all even imagine this? Of course we can't. We've never experienced anything like this. 
But the fire can cause things like this to happen. The genuine fire of God can cause things like this to happen. They cannot enter into the holy place because there's so much anointing, so much power. Their humanity cannot handle it. When all the people of Israel, they saw the fire coming down, the glorious presence of the Lord that filled the temple, they fall on their face to the ground. They begin to worship and praise the Lord. He is good, His faithful love endures forever the Shekinah glory of God fell in the form of a fire it accompanied the offerings that the priests would offer when they went to temple worship sin and burnt offering peace offering meat offerings they are all burned up by the fire the fire is a sign of God's approval on us so when God on numerous occasions decided to rain down the fire it was showing he accepted the sacrifice Whenever you read in your Bible in 1 Kings, you'll find a man by the name of Elijah. He has a sacrifice that is going on on Mount Carmel. And he began to pray, and this is what he said. The God that answers by what? By fire, then let him be God. Is it not working there? I need just a little on my monitor, Brandon. Just an itsy bit, please. My voice is about gone today. He said this. He said, I want you. Thank you. He said, I want you to go. And the God that answers by fire, then let him be God. Those wicked people danced on their altar. They shouted from their altar. They carried on on their altar. And he picked at them and said, maybe your God's gone. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom in one version. He said, maybe your God is busy. Maybe your God is on a far journey. Well, I don't know where your God is. But I know where mine is. And he prayed. And when he prayed, God showed his seal of approval when the fire fell. What God was saying is this is the real deal. I'm telling you in the church today, the way that we know we have the approval of God, it is not by anything else other than the fact that the fire of God is falling in our midst. That is a sign of approval that God says, I like what's going on over there. The fire falls. But the fire is a sign also of cleansing. The part we don't like of purging. It's approval. It's warming. It's protection. It's life. It's gifts. And I don't have time to preach all that. But in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what God was declared. It said, our God is a consuming fire. The word consuming means he is deeply felt. In other words, can you feel him inside of you? The fire is felt deep within. It is a Jeremiah kind of fire that when he said, I was going to quit preaching, I was going to give up, I was tired of being persecuted, I'm tired of going through the mess I went through, the Bible said that he was in me like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I could not hold it in any longer. I had to let it out. Have you felt the fire of God consume you like that? It's inside a consuming presence that we cannot deny is moving among us. But yet many churches today, in general, instead of being acquainted with the fire, they are more acquainted with the ice than they are the fire. They are more acquainted with form than they are the power. The form is outward appearance. You know, that's that the people approve of our worship. They're worried about how everybody thinks about them. If I act this way or if I, if I lift my hand, you know, I remember growing up in church, how the people be like, you know, used to, you didn't care if somebody heard you shout hallelujah. You just didn't care. 
Nowadays, oh my gosh, I'm going to wait for somebody else to say amen, and then I'll say amen. I'm going to wait. Are we supposed to clap now? Are we? You need the fire to consume you. Because when the fire consumes you, you don't care what Johnny thinks or what Scott thinks over here or anybody else in the congregation. I just can't see because the light's are really bright this morning. Whoever y'all are out there, you don't care what people think. That's why when you give an altar call and, and, and somebody comes forward, do you know why they do that? It's because the Holy Spirit has moved inside of them and they feel an urgency, a fire inside that consumes them to the point that they say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what people say about me. I'm going down there because I know that the fire of God is rising up within me and I have got to get in His presence. And when you get there, nothing else matters to you. But in church, we can identify with the form rather than power. With ritual rather than liberty. Ritual is our program. See, there's a lot of churches that they have good programs. I'm not worried about programs. I'm worried about liberty. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the fire of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty. You can have good programs, blah, blah, blah. I had people all the time invite somebody to church last week. And they said, well, we're concerned about the kids' program. And I understand that there's times that you want your kid to have a good... I understand that. I'm with the times, all right? I know it's 2023, and it's not me at 12, 13 years old in church. We didn't have children's church when I was growing up. We sat our butts on the pews. And if we did wrong, my mama would slap my leg, give me a warning... And say, if I get you up again, we're going outside. You didn't want to go outside. Some of these kids be begging, please take me outside. I was like, please don't take me outside. Because I knew what was going to happen. I've been out there more than once, Harry Burgess, and mother spanked me with that belt. And I'd be doing a little war dance like this right here. I wasn't in the spirit either. She'd wear me out and say, you respect God. Where has the fire gone? Where has the fire gone? And so now we look for programs. See, this is what I'm worried about. I think that we have reached a church age where the fire isn't as important as it used to be. And so now instead of seeking after the fire, we seek after programs. Oh, I feel like preaching today. Y'all might as well hold on. Whether you help me or not, I'm about to rip. We are reaching a day that we're more concerned. Well, do they have a good kids program? Do they have a good youth program? Do they have this? Do they have that? What I want to know, do you have the power of God that can change my kid that's addicted to drugs life? Have you got that? I'm worried about the fire. The other stuff doesn't even matter if you don't have the fire. Now, you can have the fire and have the other things too. That's the best case scenario. But all the other things are no good without the fire. We need the fire. Now I'm going to give you several things. I'm going to try to be short because I got a lot to preach, but I'm going to try. Number one, it was a distinctive fire. That means that it was a distinguishing fire. This fire was not of the earth like you light a match and get a fire going. This is a fire that is sent from heaven. In the book of Acts chapter 2, my text, 
it literally wrecked 120 people. It set them apart. That's what the fire did. So in other words, they were different than everybody else in the town. Those 120. I want to tell you, Holy Ghost filled people are different kind of people. Hallelujah to the Lamb of Almighty God. They talk different. They act different. Oh, I wish somebody would have. They preach different. They sing different. My God, they even walk different. When you are full of the Holy Ghost and fire that John talked about, people are going to recognize there's something inside of you that is not from this world. It's the fire of God consuming your vessel. We need a distinctive fire. 120 people are set apart from all of the rest of Jerusalem. Nobody liked these folks. Now, the Bible said when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they began to marvel at this. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I want you to grab that. They never said a word. All they did was walk in there, and when they walked in there, they said, these men have been with Jesus. They have been praying. They have been seeking. There is something distinctive about them that I have never seen before. I fear that we have approached a day when the church has no more distinctives like we used to. In other words, we have reached a day in the church age that the world cannot tell us apart from anyone else. It's going to get tight, but it'll get better. Our walk with Christ should be different. We shouldn't act like those other heathens that we work with. We should not talk like those heathens talk. There is something different. What we need in the Pentecostal move is a revival to stir us up that will identify us again. That's exactly what we need. We don't need another program. What we need is the fire of God to fill our lives, fill our churches, and change us. Let, 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 me, let me show you this really quick. And Chevy, I'm going to shoot you a picture really quick because I want you to put this up for me when I tell you to, if you don't mind, sir. When we think about identity, I want you to think about this. When I think about identity, I think about badges. If, if somebody says, hey, I'm an officer, what do you want to see? You're gonna if I walk up to you and say, hey, I'm an officer, I arrest you. What are you going to say to me? Anybody? I need to see some identification. I need a badge. You got to distinguish, distinguish yourself from the other people around me. Because we all look the same. So you show me your badge. That's an identity. That identity, that is a distinctive. It is distinguishing you from other people. Policemen do it. You go to the hospital, you see doctors, you see nurses, and when you talk to them, what do you look at? Their badge identifies who they are. You go to buy you a new car. 
I don't know how they do nowadays, but back when I was in the car business, we used to have an identification bag that would say sales associate, finance manager, whatever we were, so that people could identify. It distinguished us from everybody else. I should not need a badge or a cross around my neck to let people know I should be walking in the fire of God and people automatically recognize that man has been with Jesus. I, I used to love it. You know, I, I've, I've talked to people before in stores. This has happened to me so much. And I don't feel like I'm a starchy guy. Some of you might get offended by that. I'm not your typical starchy preacher. I don't, want, I don't wear a suit every day. I promise you that. God forbid. If I had a church that required me to wear a suit every day, I'd have to leave. I ain't studying that mess. I ain't studying that. So I don't do that. But I've been in the presence of people. I can't tell you how many times. And just with talking to them, they've asked me, said, are you a preacher? How do you know that? How, how can you tell that? I don't know. I just know that there was something that made them distinguish me as such. I did not have a badge. I did not have a suit. But they identified with me and said, are you a preacher? I said, I sure am. I actually pastor Gap Hill Church of God. Bam, conversation. You ought to come sometime. People should be able to identify that you are a man or a woman of God. This is the difference that the fire makes. What are we known for, church? What is our claim to fame? What makes us special? What is our identity? When the church is mentioned, it should be synonymous with power, with deliverance, and with victory. It should be the church normative, not with worldliness, carnality, and defeat. That is not who the church is. We are walking in the power of Christ and victory is ours that's what we are this this is a distinguishing a distinctive fire unlike anything else the world has to offer so why are we so confused it is because some have tried to create strange fire they're like you remember the sons of Aaron? You remember Nadab and Abihu? Do you remember that? Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1 through 3. The Bible said that they got ready to do their thing. And when they got ready to do their thing, that they offered a sacrifice to God. But God said it was a strange, a strange fire on his altar. Do you know he ended up killing them because of that? How many dead preachers would die in the pulpit this morning? Because all they're trying to produce is a strange fire that God did not ask for. I don't need a strange fire. I want the real thing or I want nothing at all. Biblical Pentecost has been contaminated today with the mixing of strange fire. We have church of gods. That's right. We've got Pentecostal churches. That are doing classes and they teach people how to speak in tones in the back Sunday school classroom. That's strange fire. Oh, where's the baby at? Stone. I need him to, to mimic what I said this morning. Well, everybody shout at once. It's a strange fire. 
We have mixed and we have mingled this. Let me tell you, I don't need nobody to teach me how to speak in tongues. Are you kidding me? I just read to you my text. The genuine fire, when it fell, it came, came as cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each one of them. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. When Peter preached, he did not say, let me teach y'all how to speak in tongues. He said, this is a promise that Joel said was for your sons and for your daughters. The Spirit is going to come on them just like he fell on us in Pentecost. Understand, I'm not talking about legalism or petty issues that make no difference. This is doctrine that have been challenged and tested by conforming and compromising in a self-serving crowd. That's right, to stir up what they call revival. Many years ago, we had the Kenneth Copelands of the world. I'm sorry if that's your favorite preacher. You need to quit listening to him immediately. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jimmy is on a roll this morning. Jennifer, like Joy Height used to say, start the car so we can get out of here before. <laughs> he said, honey, start the car. I'm getting out of here. Quit listening to that mess. We went through that age where, oh, the Lord's going to heal you. I'll send you my wet hanky. Look, I've been wiping sweat on this thing. That's disgusting. I ain't giving you my sweat rag. I'm going to go home and I'm going to wash this thing. You don't want this. There's no anointing in this. There's no anointing in my sweat. I'm not going to give you the water bottle I drank out of. Are you kidding me? But there were preachers that contaminated the gospel of Jesus Christ, contaminated the distinctive that we were once known by, and they said, if I can make money off of this, then I'm going to do it. And they sold it. I pray to God I don't have somebody in here that paid $100 for a hanky with sweat on it. I, oh, God, please. Please, please, please. People do it. And they thought, well, we can make a dollar off of this, so we're going to sell holy water, and we're going to do this and that and the other. That is not the fire of God. When the fire of God gets ready to fall, He just falls. He doesn't need me to help do it. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need holy water. When the Spirit got ready, there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifice, and it was the hearts of men. I'm telling you what we need. It's not a strange fire. We need genuine Holy Ghost revivals what we need. That's what we need, folks. Stir up a passion inside of me, Lord. I called to your attention many years ago. It was 1906, actually. There was a, a revival that broke out. That revival went from 1906, I believe, all the way to 1930. It was a revival led by William J. Seymour. All he did was pray and seek God for a move of the Holy Spirit. It was funny because William J. Seymour wanted the Holy Ghost worse than anything. He too wanted to speak in tongues. And so he prays, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to speak in tongues. He begins to tell his wife and some of the sisters about it. They go pray, and when they pray, they speak in tongues. So, whoa, they got the Spirit, and I don't. He just kept praying. God finally sent what we know today as the Azusa Street Revival. It wrecked 
that generation. It flipped the world upside down. Put that pick up, Chevy. You got it, buddy? Look at this. Azusa Street. Now, this is in California, right? And I was surprised because I did some research. And I thought, what happened? And I looked it up in Google. The church is gone. It was an AME church, right? American Methodist church that, that, they, that they had. And, but, but it's gone. It's gone. Now there's buildings and everything's kind of modern and up to date. But right at Azusa Street, and you can Google it, the site where they had the move of God at, and right there as you're spinning around on your live Google Maps, isn't the internet so amazing? Isn't technology great? And I'm driving down the road. I'm in Azusa Street right there in my living room. And I look, and this is what I see. Hanging right there below it, Azusa Street Mission. Site of the Azusa Street Revival from 1906 to 1931. Candle of the worldwide Pentecostal movement. But it has been demised to a, a plaque. And I'm glad it's still there. I'm glad it's still there. But there's no building. There's no future generations that kept a church alive and kept going. All we have is a mere sign of what had been. But do you know at that revival, that's good Chevy. Do you know at that revival, and this is a fact. In 1906, there was a prophecy that was given in the middle of that revival. That would be an end day prophecy. There were three distinct things that he mentioned about this revival. Number one, he said, and, and I, I was thinking about this. Let me, let me just say this and I'll hurry. I was thinking, and I, I'm surprised California still has that sign there. I'm just being honest with you, as liberal as they are. I'm surprised it's still there. And on Google Maps, it's still there. I didn't go there yesterday. I couldn't fly. I didn't have time. I wanted to go there and see it for myself. I was like, yep, I got a snap on the iPhone. It's still there. But from what we see, last images I can get, that thing's still there. And I thought to myself, Byron Duncan, I said, how many people, every single day of their lives, they walk by that sign and they have absolutely no idea what it means. They have no idea what happened back in 19 and the powerful impact of the fire and Holy Ghost power that fell right here at this place. Walk by it every day, have no idea. He prophesied three things were going to happen. Number one, he said, In the last days, men will praise a God that they no longer pray to. I, I want you to grab that. Men will praise a God that they no longer even pray to. Does that not sound like the modern church? They'll go to church every now and then. I love people when I ask them, I say, hey, where do you go to church at? And they mumble for about 30 seconds till they figure out the name of it. I even had one person I was trying to invite to church. I'm like, hey, where do you go to church at? I said, you know, finally they gave me some street. You know, over there on one of those. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you don't go to church, honey. Don't you need to stop lying right now? If you don't know the name of your church, you don't go to church. Oh, but they love Jesus. Oh, I praise God. Oh, the Lord's so good. Let me give you a testimony right here. Ain't been the church in years. Oh, I, oh, I feel like it. I'm telling you this prophetic word. It's not what I said. It was a prophecy given at this great revival. Secondly, he said there will be more emphasis on power rather 
than righteousness. In other words, we will want revivals to break out. We will want the fire to fall, just like what Azusa Street sees. But no more preaching about sin. No more preaching about if the fire is going to fall, there has got to be a change in my heart. If the fire is going to consume me, I have got to be an acceptable sacrifice on the altar of God, dead to my carnality, dead to my sins. That is the price of the fire. But he said, more emphasis. <laughs> Let's have revival. Let's not live righteous. Thirdly, he said there will be an overemphasis on spiritual gifts rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ. That means you will have some springing ups of revivals through the years that will be man-driven, personality-driven revivals rather than wanting Jesus to be the center of attention. Ooh. The reason I like the Ashbury Revival when it was going on the one thing that they emphasized more than anything was the lordship of Jesus Christ that is signs of a real revival I'm just gonna say it the way it is the one thing that they emphasize we don't have a nightly speaker we don't have a preacher here that is the leader of the revival we are just allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does that is a group of people that truly want the fire. He says, this is what we are going to see, but it is not about us. It is about Jesus Christ. This is a fulfillment of prophecy that's being seen today. As strange fire has found its way, its unholy place among us. God, help us. Give me five minutes and I'm going to close. Number one, it's a defending fire. He defended the children of Israel. I could read it to you in Exodus 14 with the cloud of fire. When it moves, you move. Luke chapter 12, 11 and 12. When they try you and they bring you even before the prisons and you don't know what you're going to say, he says this fire is going to defend you. Don't worry about what you're going to say for in that hour the Holy Spirit is going to speak for you. Number three, it's a discerning fire. John baptized with water unto repentance but proclaimed Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The fire that Jesus baptizes with speaks of an inner cleansing. Cleansing. Whatever the fire touches becomes what the fire is. He cannot live in an unclean vessel. So he says, I discern the thoughts and the hearts of men and I make them clean, holy, consistent, dependable, truthful. That's what a fire does. And in closing, this fire is a drawing fire. For on the day of Pentecost, people from all over Jerusalem were drawn to the upper room where the fire had fell on 120 believers. Can I say something right here? People today will still be drawn to the genuine fire of God in our midst. You can tell the difference in man-made fires and a God-sent when the Holy Spirit begins to move in His church again, it will draw people to it. It was what the great preacher said when he said, You catch on fire and men will come to watch you burn. 
Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God in your life. It is a drawing. It is God in our midst. May it be so in our churches today. Does somebody believe that God is still alive? Do you believe that God still heals? Do you believe that God still fills our vessels to the brim? Do you believe that we can have a cup that is full and overflowing? Do you believe this fire is still real? I'm telling you. Some people, you know what we need? I mean, some of us simply need a refilling of the Holy Ghost. We don't need a filling. We've been filled. We need a refilling. You know, I thought about my car. Your gas runs low. What do you do? Anybody know? If you got a brain, and it's not electric. No, I'm just kidding. You go to the gas station. I'm full of jokes this morning. I'm sorry. I'm wound up. I need another cup of coffee. When you go to the gas station, and you refill that tank, it's so you can go a little further. If you got medications that you take every day, when they run out, what do you do? You refill the medication. I'm telling you, we need a refilling of the Holy Ghost in our midst today. We need God to do something in us, to change us. I'm telling you, we need the fire of God to absolutely come into our life. See, this is what I want somebody to grab today. The best way to grow a church is to get the fire in the church. I'm going to say it again. The best way to grow a church is to get the fire in the church. Go to the piano, Susan. I'm done. Holy Spirit, I was praying yesterday and I said, God, I want the presence of God to be so real that when I walk through the church door, I can feel the weight and the heaviness of your spirit. I want the Holy Spirit, the fire, to hover over us and fall on us in such a way that when people come into this church that haven't cried in 10 years because they're so hard-hearted anymore and callous, I want the fire to fall on them. I want them to cry like a baby. I mean it. I want him to cry like a baby. And get up and smile about it. Because there is something different about this fire. We can man work it up. We can pump it. We can prime it. We can try to sing fast songs to get people excited. Let's clap our hands, stomp our feet, let's rejoice. Or we can either go the right path. And the right path is when my people who are called by my, my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their sins. He says, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to heal their land. I'm going to do something great. As I taught Wednesday night, I don't want you to rip your garments anymore. I want you to rend or rip your hearts open. And let me in there. Let me in that secret place. Let me in the place that nobody else sees. Let me in the place that nobody else knows about. That's where I want my fire at. Because it will consume everything in you that ought not be there. And while you're falling on your face and you're seeking this great God above, all of a sudden, the fire from heaven falls. How can a revival start in Azusa Street? 1906, all the way to the year 1930. 
never have a guest preacher. I think, how does that happen? Can you even explain that? I don't think we can. Because we've never experienced that kind of a fire. We've been in good church services. But I'm talking about a lingering of His presence. Where people not only from their town, but people from all over the world came and said, I just want to be in His presence. The God that I serve is not geographically bound. Time nor space limits or hinders Him. He does not have to move at this location alone or at that location alone I believe that what God is looking for is a group of people we got more than 120 here today but that's all it took on the day of Pentecost 120 people William J. Seymour started, I think there was eight of them that started having a simple prayer meeting until thousands around the world were coming. All that it takes is a group of people that will come under one roof in one place and say, God, we want your fire. We don't want something made up. We don't need holy water. We don't need sweaty rags. What we need is the power of the Holy Ghost to fall on us and consume our beings again. That's what we need. Come on, Beth, come on. Come on, praise team, help them. I'm going to open these altars. They're going to sing a little bit to you. They're going to sing a little bit of that. Thank you, Holy Ghost. The altars are open today. If you need a fresh wind, if you need a fresh fire, if there's something in you today that is hungry for more, if there's something in you today that says, God, I want to experience you in a way I've never experienced you before. I want to sit at your feet for a little while. I want you to consume me from my head to my feet. I want you to let the, the fire of Pentecost, the smoldering of what used to be flames is no good. The smoke that rises up from the things that once were burning is no good. We need a fresh fire. In Jesus' name. Everyone that wants to come, I want you to come and pray right now. We need a fresh wind. The fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit Holy anointing, the power of your presence, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. Holy anointing.
Holy anointing, 